0: This is the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, session number 22. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless
1: entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host,
0: Caleb Wojcik. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Paul Jarvis, who is a web designer and author about online business and actually about cooking a little bit, too. So thanks for joining me today, Paul.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: So what are you working on right now and how would people potentially know what you're doing right now online?
1: The best way to know what I'm doing, because it's usually five or six different things, is follow me on Twitter. And I have a almost intentionally hard Twitter handle, PJRVS, which everybody always misspells. And I, if I search for misspellings of that, I find just as many tweets <laughs> But that's basically where to find me. What I'm working on now is writing a third book, uh, building some WordPress themes for self-published authors, as well as doing my quote-unquote day job, which is working for myself and building websites for interesting people.
0: Okay, so let's start with web design. How did you get into web design originally? Because you've been doing it for over a decade now, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I've been doing it since the web turned graphics and you can picture me shaking my fist at everybody under 25 (laughs) i started out basically when the internet started to get graphical i just like to play around and make websites and one of the websites that i made was called pseudo dictionary and it ended up getting pretty popular it's for it's a dictionary for words that don't belong in a dictionary slang and colloquialisms and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and i did that and it got pretty popular it was in wired and a whole bunch of other places and so I got a couple job offers from people saying, Hey, you're a web designer because you've made a website, yeah. which was all it took at the time. And I I was in school for computer science, but I quit because so I didn't like school. But yeah, so I took a job um to make websites, basically from building a couple websites for myself. And luckily that was all it took at the time. And since then, that's basically been my job since I worked for a company for two years i think and i ended up becoming the creative director and then i i parted ways there and i've been working for myself for 15 years
0: and so one interesting story that i heard was that the clients you had at that company followed you when you left is that right
1: yeah and it wasn't intentional i wasn't trying to be a dick to that you weren't stealing them yeah yeah even though the boss i didn't particularly like but i yeah i i decided that i didn't want to work for them and I, i figured. I can go and work somewhere else because I have a skill now that I've developed. I learned a lot working at that company. I'm grateful for that. But as soon as I quit the company and the clients found out the next day, I was going to like figure out how to write a resume, which I still haven't done, but I was going (laughs) to write a resume and try to look for a job and all of that. But I kept getting interrupted by phone calls from the clients that I was working with at that company saying, Hey Paul, Uh, where are you going to go? Because we just want to move our business there. And enough of them called pretty much on that first day that I was like, hey, why give another company all of these clients? Mm -hmm. I can just work with them for myself. And that's what I did. So I I basically started my business on the the following day and I had a, a full roster of clients.
0: And so what do you think it was that caused the clients to be so attracted to you and want to continue to work with you?
1: Um, a, a few things. I think the first is that I've always been more, and at the time, it wasn't something that was important, but now I see it as important is I was always focused more on my craft than on promoting my craft. So whatever I've, I've never done sales, I've never I don't even have business cards. I don't I don't care about any of that. I use Twitter basically as a playground for ideas. So I spend all the time that I could be promoting or selling or pitching the clients, I spend working on projects for them. And I think uh, actually I wrote an article for Expert Enough about the, the next point, which is the differentiating factor for the work that I do is I always do what I say I'm going to do, and that unfortunately is a differentiating factor in web design because there's a lot of uh, programmers and designers that overpromise and underdeliver or are late and that sort of thing. So all I do is make sure that I meet timelines and budgets, and most of the time overdeliver a little bit and those people become my sales force and become the biggest promoters of me. So I don't need to do any promotion. I, I make sure that the clients I'm working with, they're so happy that they go out and promote for myself.
0: Mm -hmm. And And when you you mentioned craft, is that both learning how to be better at it and doing it? Or were you just focusing mainly on polish of the projects you're working on?
1: Yeah. So it is, it is both things. And the, the first thing is every day I spend probably an hour, doing research or trying new things today for an hour I was trying to write a new JavaScript that doesn't it's not for a project it's not even for myself it's just I wanted to see if I could do it so I'm always kind of pushing my creativity and my skills to try to learn new things so if it does come up in a project then I I have that and I have bigger skills for that but then yeah the other thing is just really really working hard at what I do And I mean, I do the other things that I do now, like writing books and making themes and stuff, that always comes second, even though I make money doing those things. My my main income source is still web design. So if I need to push a book deadline to get some client work done, I know my priorities because I know where the money is coming in. And that could change, but right now it's not. So I, I just keep doing that and I focus really hard on meeting and exceeding client expectations.
0: Have you always had that hour of learning or did you kind of have to develop that after a few years of working on your own?
1: No, I've always had that. I make sure that that was part of my job too when I took my my basically one and only job in the industry. As I told my boss, I'm going to spend part of every day learning stuff and at the time it was, I need to learn how to do a lot of this stuff because I don't know how, nobody knows how, there's only a few websites talking about this stuff. like. Zeldman was such a huge thing right at the beginning because he was such an industry leader at not just doing web design but talking about it Mm -hmm. and teaching others. So yeah, from the very beginning, even working for other people, when I'm I'm at work and you're going to be paying for me to do this because it'll make my job better.
0: Mm -hmm. And so do you think that now you still find things you can learn? Like there's always something new for you to learn and always something you're interested
1: in? Definitely. I'm shaking my head. We're on video right now. I don't know if the listeners know, but I'm shaking my head yes to that and I should probably vocalize it. But yeah, there's there's always stuff. The, the, the industry that I'm in, web design and development changes every few seconds. Like There's always a new framework or a new this or that. And I mean, I try not to get caught up in the industry the way that it talks to each other. Like I just don't care about web designers bitching about things or mm-hmm. debating skeuomorphism versus flat design. I just don't care about that kind of stuff. So you find like but,
0: productive things that people are discussing? Yeah, like, I, I just
1: want to learn. I don't want to read commentary on the state of the industry. I just want to learn stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. really participate that much in the web design industry. Most web designers probably don't have a clue who I am. And I, I couldn't care less. They're yeah. not the ones who are hiring me. So I've always been more interested in the learning aspect instead of being part of it, and which is mostly just whining.
0: Right, you, like it's, you don't want to read a bunch of hypotheses about flat design on mobile, which is what everybody has seemed to be talking about for the past exactly. few months. I, just, you know?
1: I couldn't care less about about um, the new operating system for iPhones. It's just, mm-hmm. and that's all. That's all. When something new comes out, everybody just needs to write blog posts complaining about it, and mm-hmm. it just it's just not interesting for me. I'd rather be productive.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you've had some pretty big projects to date for big names. And so, what have you learned designing websites for people with big audiences that have been doing it for a while, like people like Danielle Laporte?
1: They're great because I love. I've always been kind of a math nerd, and and in that aspect, like I do a lot of creative stuff, but a lot of it comes from more of a, a science way that my mind works. So I, I love projects like that because we can see what works and what doesn't on a large large scale pretty quickly and adapt or change or do more of something so i think working with big clients like that and as well it comes down to a lot of people get caught up in small things that might not matter and trying to perfection is in one direction and launching is in a totally different direction interesting yeah so and i found especially with my most successful clients they they want the product to be the best that it can possibly be to a point where they can still launch quickly. Whereas some other people get really caught up in the small details and just want to keep tweaking this or move this button one pixel over or change this green one shade darker. Yeah. And it just it doesn't get anywhere. It, it sure it makes the client happy, but I usually call bullshit on that with clients. Yeah. And getting to launch is is the most important. Part of of that sort of thing, and I think my successful clients. I'm lucky to have worked with all the people that I have because I kind of I've seen what works for them, and and that's why I wrote the book, the Be Awesome Online Business, is because I saw certain trends in what was working really really well for people and what wasn't working for people, even though they were trying just as hard, and that that's why I wrote that book to kind of give that information to a general audience.
0: And so it sounds like you have a design philosophy similar to Chase Reeves, who I work with, which is. When you design the site, it's not done the day it launches. Like, exactly. That's like the and middle. And then <clears throat> exactly. you test and that's why I like the web after. as
1: opposed to like publishing a book or a magazine. Those things are great. But as soon as you send that file to be printed, that's it until you do a second edition, which is mm-hmm. kind of work or another magazine. Whereas the web can change. And a lot of my clients, like I work with the same clients that I did 15 years ago, some of them I've had since the beginning, and we do redesigns or changes or tweaks and we just keep evolving and that's how i approach my own work and my own web stuff too is if something's not working i, I change it slightly and I, and I go from there and if it is work i do more of the same and, and test it and try it
0: and so what are the biggest things that you typically test on a website for a client or for yourself
1: i'm well different for both of those right. but it, it comes down to and I, I write a lot about this in the book is what are the goals and how does, if you're going to measure stats or metrics or anything, measure it based on what goals you have going in instead of, oh, I just want more stats. Well, why do you want more stats? Oh, I just want more Twitter followers or more newsletter subscribers. Well, why? So for my own stuff, I I don't know. I like to, my newsletter is probably my favorite way to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. So I like to work on getting more people to subscribe, not because I'm giving away something for free. Like I used to have subscribe to my newsletter, get a free like four chapters of my book. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like that that works for other people and I'm sure they have much better conversions than I do. But I want people to sign up for my mailing list because they want to keep reading something and not get one ephemeral thing and then they're stuck on the list or they unsubscribe right after kind of thing. So for me, I want an audience on my newsletter that is engaged, wants to read, and wants to communicate with me. So now my newsletter is a quote from a reader talking about the benefit of signing up to my mailing list. Mm -hmm. And that's getting me a better amount of subscribers based on the goal that I have, which is engaging and talking to people. I don't care if my list grows by 500% or 200%. I want people that are engaged and interested in it.
0: When people are so caught up with the actual number of the email list, if you, actually look at open rates and engagement you know it can be a fraction of what that actually list is it doesn't matter if you have a hundred thousand subscribers if 20 percent of them ever open your email you know you might as well just delete them because you're wasting money
1: yeah and mailchimp is is great for that because you you pick your industry at the beginning and it says what the industry open rates are for whatever industry i pick i don't know i might have picked Mm -hmm. advertising i might have picked web i don't know what i Mm -hmm. picked but the open rates for whatever industry I picked is something like nineteen or twenty percent mm-hmm. on average for the industry. My open rates are sixty percent. My mailing list is only a couple thousand people, but I have three times the open rate. And for clicks, I think it's something like one percent, which is for the industry for the average. Industry, Mine, yeah. I think, is around twenty. But one percent of people on average are clicking links in newsletters they're subscribed to. Why bother? just you're not you're not communicating effectively even if you're communicating with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people one percent of people are clicking the links you want them to how effective is that
0: and so you mentioned email subscribers being one of the things that you measure on your site what about for clients you typically measure things like email sales any other metrics you pay attention to? for that
1: i really work with clients at the beginning to figure out because a lot of times They have in their head what they want out of their website. And a lot of times that might not match up with a a business goal that they have or even a value that they have, which is important. So I, I, I spend time at the beginning of projects really trying to figure out what it is they're trying to get out of it. Because even though I do web design, web design isn't that important. Web design meets business goals and then it's important instead of Just web design for the sake of web design. Like, if somebody's going to pay me to do a website and they don't know what they want out of it, I'm probably just going to say no because it's not worth their money and it's not worth my time to do it. So, I really focus on what the goals are. So, yeah, some of the goals are more newsletter subscribers. Some of the goals are just getting their name out there and building their audience. So, when they do launch a product later, they have people that are wanting to buy it. So, just getting like a, a blogging strategy in place that might not have any sales or uh, might not be focused on a mailing list at all. So it really depends on the client for, for goals and that. But yeah, th- making sure you have a very clear idea of what those are before you hire a web designer or before you do a web design project is, is the biggest key and is way more important than what the site looks like.
0: And so other than knowing what your goals are, what other advice do you have for someone hiring a web designer to make a site for them?
1: knowing that you have to do a lot of work. And this is a a common gripe with web designers is that a client hires them and the web designer goes full out doing everything they need to do, meeting the deliverables, but then the client doesn't get the content in time or doesn't Mm -hmm. get their pieces. So if I'm doing a website and it takes, say, 60 hours, I tell my clients, you're probably going to need about 60 hours of your time to get what I need done like putting together the content, thinking about your goals, <clears throat> figuring out sitemap and what you're prioritized, like actions that you want people to do on the site, checking the site before it's launched and bug testing and that sort of thing. So clients really need to have their stuff together beforehand in terms of what they want to achieve. And then during the project, they need to be present. And I have so many clients that I've worked with where, I finished the site and then twelve months later they haven't finished writing the content. And it's like, well, why did I do all that work so quickly? Right. right. So yeah, there, there's a lot of work involved on both parties. And doesn't you can hire the best web designer on the planet and you're still gonna have a ton of work <laughs> that needs to be done on your end. Well, this is I, your business. I think
0: that good web designers do that pushback. They make it more equal because it's better yeah. for the overall site. Cause like you said, design isn't the most important part. Sometimes it's just the words on the page. And the web designer can help with that. But typically, if it's your site, you should know the words that you're trying to convey to people. And
1: exactly. Them. And people have a misconception that their website is their business and that simply having a website is enough for them to do well in business. But it's like opening up a store on Main Street and oh, putting all your products in it and opening up the doors and saying, like, oh, where is everybody? Yeah. If, if nobody knows the store is there, or if nobody knows what you've got or what value the products you have... It doesn't It doesn't matter how much work you put into that. You need to actually be promoting and hustling and getting the things together and figuring out your goals and all of that.
0: And I liked how your book, which we'll talk about more in a little bit, is focused on design, but it's not. There are questions about business that also relate to design, but they're still important to be asked, even if you're not trying to redesign your site, even if you're just trying to maybe change navigation or copywriting on certain pages or figuring out your long-term goals. So what advice do you have for people that are doing design themselves? Maybe they have design chops, but they get overwhelmed thinking about designing a whole website themselves.
1: For something like that, I think it's good to break it down into first, if you relate, the the easiest way i figured it out because I'm not very smart is if you, break everything down in relation to like figure out what the top three things you want to achieve. What are your, what are your three goals? Don't make it 50 goals or a hundred goals, make it three goals to make it easy and then break down every task into the smallest piece possible and see how it relates to that goal. If you're thinking, I don't know if I should make my website, Blue or green, then does that how does that relate to the goal? What the you do, bit of color theory investigation and see how those colors make people feel, or something like that. Or if it's navigation, you could ta- figure out how your audience speaks and what language they use and see how well your navigation, the nomenclature for the way that you're figuring out your navigation, relates to the language that your audience is used to. So breaking everything down into tiny chunks. And seeing, does this relate to this goal? Or is it just something that I want? Like a lot of times when people are hiring a web designer or doing the web design themselves, they think about them first. But they're not the ones buying the product or reading the articles. It's Mm -hmm. the audience that's consuming that. So you need to think of your audience first and, and the reader first in most cases because the reader then becomes the audience. So breaking it down into goals and then making it focus on who the person is that's ultimately the end user of the website and thinking of it more in terms of what they want or need or what problems it solves for them instead of I like blue because that's my favorite color that that means shit (laughs) yeah it doesn't do anything for your business that's just something you like have a hobby and paint blue pictures yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) and so do you have your clients do an inspiration board of sorts of maybe other websites or maybe non-web related things like maybe movies or art or photography or something like that to help you get a feel for how they want the site to look at least.
1: Definitely. And i I think that the, um, ha- having an idea kind of what they like in terms of other websites is great, but that can also lead to, especially with the clients that I work with because I work with people who are leaders in their industry. A lot of people are like, I just want a site that looks like this one that you did, or that looks like her website or his website. Yeah. And you can get too caught up in that. So the other thing, what you're saying with mood boards, I found Pinterest is the best way to get to the heart of what somebody actually likes in terms of style and aesthetic, Mm -hmm. because you can't pin a website. You can pin paintings and pictures and typography over words and palettes and that sort of thing. So you Mm kind of get when people start to think about it more abstractly, they're not caught up in the specifics. Like I need the navigation to look exactly like the fizzle website or something like that yeah. right so you get the more abstract you get the more to the heart of what somebody actually likes so pinterest is great like i'm not a big pinner but for my clients i found pinterest is the best way to kind of get really what their style is instead of i want to copy this website because it's successful and it might not be my style or it might not even apply
0: well that's one thing that relates back to what you were saying about how you don't follow what other web designers are doing because then everything just starts looking like everything else yeah. and it, so if you're looking at leaders in your industry and you say i just want that then your website's just going to look like theirs but it's going to look iterative and probably not as good because you don't have as big a budget as they do
1: yeah and it's, it's not it, it's going to be meeting their goals which may may not be yours which is the biggest thing like you're doing your business the disservice by just like your best intentions could be copying this person not flat out like design ripoff but copying kind of the essence of their website and that might, their goals might be totally different or even opposite of yours. And then where's the differentiator in what you do compared to them. And as well, another point to that is if if all it took was copying somebody else to be successful, every single person would be successful because that first person was a success. And that's not how it works. You can't just copy an idea and be successful. So why not carve your own path and make, your own choices that relate to your values and goals and that sort of thing. And then if you are successful, it's on your terms, not just, Oh, it's, it's a mini so-and-so kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you make the majority of your income through web design, Yes, but you just published a post like today or yesterday or something about how you made almost 25,000 over the past year or so self-publishing your two books and some of your WordPress. Yeah. Things. I published that I so, think,
1: five minutes before the call. <laughs> Oh, really?
0: I just read it, too. Yeah. So what made you want to split your focus from web design and work on these projects? And does it help you actually do better web design by having side projects?
1: It does. And that it comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. That I, it, especially with creative work, it's easy to get caught up in what you're doing. And then the better you are at it. Like I'm booked months in advance. And I have been for since I started. So I can just put my head down and work and make money and do good, do good websites for people. But I found I wasn't pushing myself and I wasn't really growing or adapting or evolving or innovating. Like I was doing great work for, for my clients, but personally, I wasn't pushing myself. So I, I just figured like side projects are good for that. Like side projects, I'm basically my client. And right now I've hired myself to write my book which is why I'm doing less client work. But while I was doing the other two books, it was kind of while I was doing my eight hours a day or, or less, because they don't work that much. They so don't like working a ton. But it was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was kind of wanting to push the boundaries of what I could do because boundaries are weird because you can have an idea of your limits from secondhand knowledge or an idea you have in your head. But then when you actually come up against that boundary, you can typically go way further than you thought you could. Like with the first book that I wrote, I was just, I figured like, shit, a couple hundred people could buy this and that would be awesome. Like I wasn't trying to make money because I already make money. I was just wanting to get the the point of the book across, which is you can eat really well if you eat whole food, a whole food plant-based diet. And because that's mm-hmm. what I do and I feel great. So the, the point was like, oh, I can sell this to a couple hundred people. That's awesome. I, I think I've sold over 3,900 copies so far, plus mm-hmm. given away like 1,500 copies for free. So I just, I need to keep grinding. I'm a creative person. I, I need to keep pushing myself or I feel like I'm going to stagnate and, and like look around and then I'm in a suit and tie in a cubicle somewhere typing. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. So <laughs> I, yeah, I need to keep pushing, even though I'm afraid of basically everything. I need to keep pushing. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, going into like what you actually created, your food book was just a matter of a problem that you saw and solved yourself, and then you just kind of wrote about it.
1: Yeah, I was getting right? emails from friends asking for recipes, basically, because they knew it was vegan. And then I was Instagram; it just started, and people were liking my the posts of food that I made, and then thousands of people were liking the posts of food that I made and people were saying like oh when's the book coming and i'm like oh, i i didn't know i was writing a book i'm <laughs> writing a book so yeah. and then for the for the for the next book it was more i I've, I've done this every day for 15 years web design stuff and i've i've learned a few things from the people that i've had the pleasure of working with
0: and and to me i used to do web design stuff and i've kind of started saying no to it because i want to do more video yeah. stuff but this would be the perfect thing to give to someone as a designer. Yeah. Be like, go and read this book. Here's some homework. There's questions at the end of pretty much every chapter. Give me these and I can design you a better website.
1: Exactly. And I mean, I found that my my secondary audience for Be awesome in Online Business are web designers saying, I need to give this to all of my clients right now. And that's that's mm-hmm. another reason why I wrote it, because I'm sick of hearing web designers complain about the same things. Because it's our fault for not teaching the people that we work with. Like if we're frustrated at part of the process. People that hire web designers to do work don't know as much about web design as web designers. So if the client is frustrating or doesn't understand something, it's on us, which is why I wrote the book because I want to teach people how to be better clients of web design or help web designers who maybe can't communicate that way or don't have the time to write it or something like that. Give it to their clients and say, hey, look, this is what you need to know about what I can do for you. And if you learn that, then we can make the project a whole lot better.
0: Mm-hmm. And then for the WordPress themes, they they kind of have a purpose. You know, a lot of people just make themes that look good, but both yours have a purpose. So, do you want to talk a little bit about what those two purposes sure. are? Sure. The
1: the main feature of the WordPress themes that I make is that they have almost no features. <laughs> and if people can if people can wrap their minds around that concept, then it they love it, and people have been buying. I've only had them out for a few months. I think I've sold about 150, or a bit more 150 themes. So not that many, but. I really haven't pushed it. But yeah, so the themes are retina-friendly and mobile because that's important, but mm-hmm. they don't have a ton of features. It's just content-focused, and it's, it's reader-focused. So they look good enough to work and to to be very clear and plain in in the content that they show, but I, bunch, some of them don't have comments enabled. Some of them don't have, like none of them actually have a ton of like, share this on these 50 social media properties kind of. Thing.
0: Or sidebars
1: even Yeah, yeah none of them have sidebars. Actually, one of them has kind of a hidden sidebar. So you have
0: to a slide click out, any yeah. button
1: and then it kind of slides out. So yeah, I, just, I wanted to make themes because people come to me because they want websites like that. So I abstracted what I learned from doing websites the way I think websites should be done and kind of made them broadly digestible. So anybody that says, oh, I, will, I want to have a blog, but I want it to be really content focused and super clean and super minimal. I don't care if it does these 5,000 things that like Genesis or thesis frameworks do. I just want to have a site that I can have up and running in a couple minutes that looks good. And yeah, that's why I made the themes.
0: And it, it makes people focus on what you're actually talking about instead of getting distracted by exactly fonts or colors or... Yeah. Fancy buttons or ads or whatever. They're
1: purposely hard to edit.
0: Yeah, and so do you think that the web is kind of going back to text only? You said you you joined it when it was going graphical and now these places like Medium and places like even like The Verge, like in the middle of the content, it's so specific on text and just getting rid of distractions. I think it's partially to do with mobile and tablets. I don't know if you agree as to why The web's kind of moving that way. But do you think it's moving towards a simple, content-focused web design?
1: Yes. And what you said, I totally agree with that. It is mobile and tablet-focused. But I think that's given the rise of those ways of consuming digital information has made people think, hey, if I'm on my iPhone, I don't see a sidebar on most sites. I just get the content. Why can't it be like that if I'm using my desktop or my laptop? And people get used to that this is just content. This is made because content is really for the reader ads and sidebars and calls to action are for the site owner. So Mm -hmm. people see like, Oh, this is so focused on me as a reader on my, on my iPad or my iPhone or my Android that when I look at it on a computer, it seems like it's less geared towards me. So, and I've kind of always like when I started 15 years ago, it was like flash versus HTML and flash had all these bells and whistles and HTML was super, Simple, like thirty-seven signals, when they were doing web design, was pretty much the leader in in the the way that I was thinking back then. And that hasn't—they stopped doing web design, and I haven't really stopped thinking that way. Like in the skeuomorphism versus flat, I've always just what I do isn't flat design; it's just really content-focused, simple design. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what I've done through whatever trends are good or bad or popular or unpopular. I just keep doing what I think works. And right now, it's kind of the industry and the audiences are kind of leaning towards that. But in the future, they might not be leaning as heavily towards that. But whatever, I'll keep I'll keep doing what I think works, anyways.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, you do a lot of short form writing that isn't necessarily teaching people web design. It's kind of about a lot of different things. And so, do you use that as another creative outlet?
1: Yeah, I I and I kind of write a lot about entrepreneurialism and happiness and productivity and that sort of thing and that's really what the next book that I'm currently writing is about somewhere in between fear and creativity and breaking rules and that sort of thing and it's just kind of something I've always I've always felt that I like to talk about and I've always felt oh well I have a business site I don't know if I should write about that and then one day I was just like it I'm just gonna write whatever I want and then being able to write on medium as well I've had a lot more leeway. I write about basically whatever I want. I write about vegan stuff or fear or love notes. Like it, I write basically whatever I want. I, it's it's awesome, and I do that now with my newsletter too. Like there's a lot of people that I'm sure subscribe because they're like, oh, this guy web designer. I learned about web design, and then I write an article about fear. And then people some people are probably like yeah yeah, I don't want to read that and then they unsubscribe and that's fine but <laughs> I just kind of like to share i'm I'm in a place now where I just I want to share what is important to me at that time, and it can be anything today I wrote about making money selling books the day before I wrote about pushing fear like <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever I want kind of goes right now
0: well I think then that's kind of the way of the internet and brands and everything are going is it's about the person behind them and not the actual brand anymore. Yeah. Cause I mean, even with Twitter, <clears throat> there's probably two brands that I follow and the rest of it are all people that maybe they work for a brand or they founded a brand, but I care about what the person is saying and sharing and not typically what the brand
1: is. Exactly. And promoting. I think that's why I can do things like write a vegan cookbook and then write a business book and people, there's crossover. <laughs> it's, it's weird but there's crossover <laughs> and the crossover is just because people if they liked one book, they like kind of the way that I tell stories and they're curious about the other one. Like I have a bunch of people that want to know about online business that are now baking um cabbage quinoa cabbage rolls. <laughs> <laughs> like that's awesome. But yeah, people are kinda like I I found that too. People want to hear what I have to say. And it doesn't really matter what I'm talking about if I'm true to the voice and the values that I have—it do, it doesn't matter, and people are going to find value in in what I have to say. Hopefully, that's that's the goal. Cool.
0: And so, what's your strategy for what you post on Medium versus what you post on your site?
1: You're implying that I have a strategy. <laughs> well,
0: do well. Do you post it on Medium and then post it on your site, or vice versa, or some of um, each?
1: Well, that that was partially true and partially a joke for, <laughs> for Medium. I found that and I've been getting like medium does medium does well. Like some of my, some of my articles have like 20,000 reads on them. And they're things that I posted last month on medium that I wrote four years ago on my website. So I'm going through my back catalog of writing, posting it to a new audience and then going from there. But sometimes I just post whatever I feel like. And I like to, for my own website for pjrvs.com, which you can't phonetically say, I don't think, perjurves, (laughs) something like that, pjrbs.com. I I don't want to post every day or like twice a day or that sort of thing. I like to have it Mm -hmm. about once a week. I don't really have a strategy or anything in mind, but I don't like to inundate people on there. So if I have smaller ideas, then yeah, I definitely like to just put it on the Medium just because I can post. I don't even need to... It's fun because I can write on Medium not promote it at all and kind of see what happens and it's just it's fun random experiments that I like to have with myself mm-hmm. so medium is great for just being able to kind of and I feel like it's not a playground and I can just kind of do whatever I want there
0: mm-hmm and so one of my favorite parts of your book be awesome on online business are the questions at the end of each chapter And so did you have that in mind when you started to write the book or is that kind of a feature that came organically? That was
1: definitely in mind. Like this, that book, I I wanted to be supremely action oriented. So I even cut, I think I cut a third of the book in the editing process because I wanted it to be easy to digest at first. Like people can sit down and read it in probably 45 minutes or so, depending on how quickly you read. There's no judgment if it takes longer. But then I wanted there to be actionable items and questions that people could refer back to as they were happening. Like if you read the book and you have an idea of what the book had to say, then you're, okay, I need to design my website or look for a web designer. What did I need to ask? You can flip through it and find the list of 10 questions that you need to ask a web designer before hiring them. So I wanted to just have quick, actionable things. And I I do this in projects, too. Like I have Mm -hmm. my clients answer questions along the way. To kind of get to the meat of what they're, of what they want to achieve. So when I was writing the book, it's kind of I just I, I copied myself with the the process that I have, and I every, everywhere I have questions as much as possible.
0: Yeah, and I I think that that's huge because when you read a business book, and especially if it's over a bunch of different topics like yours is, you never go back to it almost because you don't want to just have to sit and read through the whole thing again. But when you just have the questions that you can refer to, you can always just be like, okay, I'm just going to use these questions. Exactly. Figure it out in a couple hours of where I want to go. And then <clears throat> it's more actionable that way. Yeah.
1: And that's what I'm, I'm glad that. And I have people that have told me, oh, I, I printed out those workbooks and I have them like posted up in my office kind of thing. And that makes me happy. And that's like mm-hmm. that's exactly what I want it to happen is people taking the workbook separate. They got the general gist of the book and I got the knowledge that they needed from it. But then they can just quickly refer back, spend a minute or two with the book, say like I need to ask this, this, this for, for for this topic and then go and leave the book and come back maybe a month later when they're on the next step or the next step kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and so you you said you've been pretty much booked months in advance since you started freelancing. What are some ways that you get more clients as you keep working?
1: Um, it's other clients telling people about the work that I do and, um, I sign my work. I'm an artist, so I sign the the bottom of my work. So every website that I do Mm -hmm. has my name and a link in the footer. And I mean, on sites like Danielle LaPorte, she has way more traffic than I will ever have. And that link on Mm -hmm. the bottom of her website is my best salesperson. And when I have that across I don't know, over a hundred websites now because I've been doing this for a while. That's mm-hmm. the, if people like the website and they get to the bottom, they're like, I like this website. This guy did that website. I want this guy. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't, yeah, I don't do sales really. I wait for people to come to me, which seems super passive, but I've always like, like we we're talking about earlier. If I focus on my, what I do and how I help people so much that they become my salespeople, then I don't need to worry about that aspect of it. I don't need to worry about promoting because I have other people that promote. And I think there's probably some psychology study done. But if I tell you, hey, buy buy this product and you're like, okay, that sounds good. But then if somebody else is like, hey, this guy Paul made this awesome product that I bought and I love, you should buy it. Then you're going to be more likely to listen to a third party talk raving about Mm -hmm. what it is that that other person did and how that other person helped them. So that's always been my focus is helping people and not doing sales because I suck at sales and letting other and people...
0: And you said you've had a lot of clients for a long time too. Pardon me? Right? You've had clients that you've been working with for many years as exactly. well. Exactly.
1: I have a lot of clients that, like you were saying, the, 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 launching a website is kind of the middle chapter. And sometimes there's 10 middle chapters where we relaunch the site after a couple years and products change and then... And it's easier because I'd like to work with, like, I only work with people I like to work with. And I say no to most of the projects that come my way because I know I do good work when, one, I believe in what they're doing, and two, when I enjoy working with them. Like, I don't care if they're selling insurance or writing books on creativity. If they're fun to work with and if they're engaging to work with and I I get to push myself in the project, then... I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy working on it. And I'm, I'm lucky that I have a bunch of clients that they do really well. So they're always needing new things and I can, I can just keep, I can just keep working with them on their projects.
0: So I have a question about that as, as you age with a client, how do you go about um, increasing your rate?
1: I do and they like it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I, I think I raise my rate. I I don't really raise my rates that often, but when I do, people actually, I do because I do hosting for just my clients and it's like a private hosting on on an enterprise server. And Mm -hmm. I doubled my rates because I was losing money with a couple of my clients. Like I started the hosting and I was charging a certain amount and then I quickly realized, shit, this is way too little for what I'm doing and the additional services because it's not just hosting. It's backups and security and monitoring a whole bunch of other stuff so all of that other stuff was costing more than what i was charging so a few weeks ago so it's because your costs were higher yeah so a few weeks ago i'm like hey your um hosting bill is going to double and if you want to leave i can pack up your website for free and give you everything that you need to go to someone else and i was like i bet a couple people are gonna leave because i'm doubling the rate and it's just kind of out of the blue not a single person did and everyone was like good for you and that's kind of, even when people are hiring me to redo websites, it's like, oh, it's now $7,000 instead of five. And they're uh-huh. like, okay, let's go. <laughs> like, when yeah. can we start? The biggest question with me is when I can start, not how much it costs typically. It's because my schedule is a bit of a beast. They just want to get into my calendar. And that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. Like if they can't wait as long as it takes for me to start, then they might have to work with somebody else. But and so I can't compete on price. I could, I'm i not a like PSD to WordPress chop shop or something like that. I, I don't put myself on Elance. I can't compete on price. I can only compete on the value that I bring projects.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when you're booked in advance like that, do you ever have the want to catch up and work twice as hard for a couple months and get caught up um or no because you're afraid to get burned sometime, out
1: sometimes like I guess I, I probably think about that sometimes and then I quickly realize, like I used to be like that I used to work like 15 16 hours a day and I just mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I don't I don't care enough about work to want to just burn myself out like that and I, I love my work but I love my work because I take breaks like Last year, I think my wife and I took three months off in a row to travel. And Mm -hmm. I just, if I want to do that, I can. So if it's a nice day out, which actually is kind of a nice day out. So, I mean, (laughs) yesterday we climbed, my wife and I just went for a hike up a mountain in the afternoon. And I I like to be able to take time off. And I think that helps me stay creative and it helps me not burn out. And it helps me stay, when I am focused on work, I'm focused on work because there's other stuff I want to do so if i can get my work done and work at it really well then i can go and do something else afterwards and i think a lot i didn't know that in my 20s in my 20s i was like i'm just gonna work as hard as i can all day every day and i was just and i realized like why and i didn't really have a good answer (laughs) so yeah so i stopped
0: that makes sense (laughs) and so you're working so that you can have quality of life not just working to work all the time.
1: exactly and part of that quality of life is doing good and meaningful work and i i wouldn't want to if somebody was like hey paul you can retire now i would be like "Eh, sure i guess <laughs> but i still will probably build websites for the people that." I yeah but then write. what would you do yeah so.
0: and w- so let's let's wrap up here with a final question so what's one of the one of the bigger mistakes you've made maybe while working with a client or trying to scale your business that you would maybe do differently this time
1: around? Sure, I think the biggest mistake, and I still make it, and it's, but I make it less, but the biggest mistake is saying yes to projects that I don't really wanna do, or if I feel Mm -hmm. like in my gut, this person probably isn't the best person to work with, and I just say yes to it anyways. I don't need to do that. But there's something, there's like this fear in my head, like I need to take on this project because there's never going to be another project and nobody's ever going to want to pay me ever again. So I say yes (laughs) to the project and it it doesn't go well. And we end up in like an endless loop of mock-ups or creating something that i'm not happy with that goes against everything that i believe not in terms of like i'm not working for oil companies or like murderers but just in terms of like it's just not like there will be 50 things on the site when i only think that there should be five and it just it doesn't Mm -hmm. vibe with what i what i do and then i I don't want to put it in my portfolio and i don't want to keep doing the project and i mean i've fired clients i think in This year, I fired probably too many clients. I fired a lot of clients because a lot of projects were kind of going in that direction. And it's my own fault. And I should have just said no to those projects at the very beginning and saved myself the trouble of a project that is going badly or that isn't going to work out and saved the client the problem of hiring somebody than having to hire somebody else. So I think it's really important to say no Because then that opens you up to be able to say yes to actually good projects. And then it's kind of like self-fulfilling because the more projects that I do that I like, the better those projects turn out. I can put those in my portfolio. And then the more people like those people that I like working with come to me because they see those websites and I get more clients that I like to work with. So it ends up working out, but I just have to stop myself. and I'm getting better at it, but I still obviously do it. But yeah, I just saying no to projects that I that I know aren't going to work out, and I know that they won't, and I take them anyways.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I think that one of the things is that people don't know how to say no the best way. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you say no to projects that you just know aren't a good fit?
1: I'm a, I really don't it's have a, a problem. It's with not you, it's me. Usually, and I mean, it, and it's not even about like, I think a lot of times people feel like I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, or I don't want somebody to think badly of me, or I don't want to burn a bridge there's a way to say no to people that is direct but still forceful in a, in a way where it's not like, did he say no? Or like, when, like if somebody breaks up with somebody else and they don't really know if they got broken up with or not yeah <laughs> hidden in flowery language. But I think if you're honest about like not wanting to work with somebody and not because they're a bad person or not because you think their idea or their business sucks, but just because it's not a good fit, that's fine. Like that's to me is a valid reason to not work with people. And people are understanding. People are more understanding than you give them credit for in your own mind. And everybody does this. And I mm-hmm. think people are, I, people, like people say thank you sometimes when I say I, I can't take on this project right now for this reason. But here are four people you can talk to that might be able to help you. And thank you, Paul. We'll talk to them. Thanks for being honest and upfront. And, and they move on.
0: Perfect. Well, I think that's a great way to end this talk. So cool. where can people find you online, Paul?
1: On the Twitter at PJRBS. And from there, there's a link to my website and my books and my WordPress themes and whatever else other wacky stuff I happen to be doing. Well,
0: awesome. If you're listening and you are a designer and you have clients that ask way too many questions, buy this <laughs> book and <laughs> for your client and bill them for it if you have to. I mean, it's not that expensive. But buy it and give them some homework so that they're prepared to actually work with you. I wish I would have had this many years ago. So thanks for joining me today, Paul.
1: Cool. All my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade podcast at www.pocketchanged.com. To read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions, head over to cubiclerenegade.com.